Well, hello, folks, and welcome to Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis, and today I am happy to have Dr. Paul Fricke, who is a professor of dairy science, um, with speaking with us today. He's at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thank you for taking the time to join us today, Paul. Yeah, it's great to be with you. And uh, Dr. Fricke is a specialist in reproductive medicine in dairy cows, um, and uh, you grew up in on a dairy farm in eastern Nebraska. Where was that at? Yeah, no, it's interesting. My my dad and my uncle still farm there. They sold the cows back in the 1980s, but the farm I grew up on is kind of south of Omaha, okay. in between Papillion and Bellevue, if you're kind of familiar with that area. So, that, yep, that's where I grew up. Grew up, grew up milking cows. So. Sure. Well, the area between Papillion and Bellevue has uh, changed a little bit probably since then. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it has changed a lot. They're farming a lot of the bottom ground uh, that sure. runs through there. And as I say, they're just farming now and, and no more dairy cows, but... Yeah, well, you know, and you still have latched onto the dairy industry, though, from from the looks of it, though. Yeah, yeah, I love working with the dairy industry, and I've been doing it now for twenty, almost twenty five years. So, in that time frame, um, pregnancy rates in these cows have changed a little bit, haven't they? Yeah, so that's that's really what I wanted to talk about today. And so, one of the things that I talk to people about is I say, you know, if I could put, I think what's happened is people have gotten used to really fairly good reproduction nowadays. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of challenge people and I ask them, if you've been in the industry for 20 years or less, raise your hands. And so there's quite a few people out here, out there that don't remember this, but if I could put everybody into a time machine and take them back to about 1998, which is about when I started my, my tenure track faculty position at the university of Wisconsin, at that time, the 21-day pregnancy rate metric was kind of brought into the industry and people started to measure it on their farms. And if you go back and look at data from 1998, average 21-day preg rates in dairy herds were about 14%. And that was pretty uniform. Uh, this, that was original data from uh, the state of Minnesota, but it was true for, for Wisconsin. Uh, it was true in other countries. It was true up in Canada. It was true in certain places in South America. So it seemed like that 14% pregnancy rate was kind of where we were. And at that time, kind of the pie in the sky goal for 21 day pregnancy rate was to hit 20%. So herds that could hit a 20% preg rate, maintain it on an annualized basis, 20% or above. Those were kind of the elite herds and very few herds, you know, 20 years ago could, could achieve that. And today, I, you know, as not being a dairy practitioner on, on a regular basis, but I can say that definitely has changed nowadays. Absolutely. And so people, you know, they would be shocked to think of a, of a 14% pregnancy rate today. And just to go back to that, the pregnancy rate is determined by two other rates. It's determined by the service rate, which is the rate at which we can breed cows, and then the conception rate. And so in the mid-90s, um, this technology that we call OVSYNC came along. Before people really used OVSYNC, service rates were limited because people had to catch cows in heat, and that's usually a rate-limiting step. It's hard to see cows in heat. Not all of our cows are cycling. So this 14% pregnancy rate was, was suffering from low service rates, but also low conception rates. And the conception rate is simply of the, of the cows that you inseminate, what percent get pregnant. And it was very common back 20 years ago to see conception rates in lactating dairy cows in the mid 30 30% range, maybe getting close to, to 
And so as we've moved forward, then if you can go to, say, today, 2019, I pulled some data down from um, the Dairy Records Management Service, which basically is a DHIA, uh, you know, taking in records. And if you look at the U.S. 21-day pregnancy rate in 2019, this is on over 7,000 herds, almost 1.8 million Holstein cows. The average 21-day pregnancy rate today is 21.6%. And um, I have a distribution here, and it's a fairly normal distribution, a little bit right skewed. But if you look at the percentage of herds in that distribution that are above 20%, our old goal, it's 60% of herds are above 20%. And just for the heck of it, because I'm here in Wisconsin, I looked at Wisconsin. We like to say here in Wisconsin, we're, we're all above average here in Wisconsin. <laughs> And so if you look at the distribution of Wisconsin, it's about 464 herds, 183,000 Holstein cows. The average in Wisconsin 21-day pregnancy rate today is about 23.2%, and 75% of the herds are above uh, 20%. So we've made, we've made tremendous improvements. That whole thing has been shifted to the right over this 20-year period. So it's been an exciting time. And with this shift, you know, what would be the key factors that you feel have made this possible? Yeah, yeah, great question. So I, I spoke before the things that were limiting the 21-day pregnancy rate back mm-hmm. 20 years ago, and one of those was the service rate. Well, one of the technologies that has come along that a lot of people, a lot of farms have adopted are these activity monitoring systems. they become extremely popular. They're very useful. Uh, they're basically, you know, a tag or a, um, or a collar that you put on the cows, and so you have 24-7 surveillance of the cows. They're very sensitive and they can just do a much better job of catching those cows in heat. So we've been able to increase the service rate. The other thing that's come along and it's a big part of the research that I was involved with, I, I mentioned back in 1995, the Obstinc program was was first developed at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And in that intervening 20-some year, 25-year period of time, we've basically been able to turn the synchronization program of sync, which was primarily increasing service rate into what we now call a fertility program. And the fertility programs we have, you know, we would call those double off sync or perhaps a G6G type of a protocol. Those programs actually increase not only the service rate, but increase the conception rate. And we did some work, um, a number of years ago now, where we basically looked at the conception rate of cows that were randomized to be bred to estrus versus submission to, say, a double off-sync pro- program for first breeding and timed AI, there was a 10 percentage point advantage for the cows that were on the timed AI, so we can get higher fertility. So those are two two technologies that are widely implemented and um, on farms that have basically been able to increase that 21-day pregnancy rate. And I'll mention a third technology and that is the genomic, uh, the genomic revolution that we've had. And so now, you know, you can genomically test animals. Uh, we can know within the period, t- period of time when a, a calf is two to four months old, whether that calf has good genes for reproduction or not. And so we're now putting a lot of, we've decreased generation intervals in, in our selection process, especially with like bull selection. And now uh, we've, we've got, you know, the genomics revolution that's helping us with this as well. Yeah, there has been a lot of different things that have changed over the years. And if you were going to look into your crystal ball, what are things that you might see coming down the pipeline here in the next 20 years? 
Well, that's an excellent question. And my, my, unfortunately, my crystal ball is, is, is cloudy. So <laughs> I can only do as good as, good as I can do. Sure. I'll tell you, one of the things that we have done, one of the things that these technologies have done is it's radically changed populations of animals on farms. So it used to be, if you were running a 14% pregnancy rate, it was very difficult to produce the number of heifers required to keep up with a normal culling rate, say 40%. But since we've been able to get these herds into these higher pregnancy rates, and our, our really good herds have maybe 30% or higher 21-day pregnancy rates, what happened was we started to produce more female replacements than we needed. And that caused a lot of shifts that happened in the industry. So now I have a graduate student. She's working on a program where we're, we're looking at sex semen, for example. So if you look at the, the breakdown of semen usage across, say, the last five-year period of time, even, even five years ago, there was very little beef semen and very little sex semen used in lactating Holstein cows. And over this last five-year period of time, we've got almost 20% of the breedings in Holsteins that are sex semen, almost 25% of the breedings are beef semen, and then the rest are conventional semen. And many of the herds that I work with now have almost or, or have completely eliminated use of conventional semen. And this is all a result of, of these technologies and how they've kind of synergized to really improve and change reproduction. And so some of the questions that we're asking as, as we move into the future, what is the best way that we can optimize use of sex semen and fertility with sex semen in these herds? And um, one thing with the sex semen products that are out there, the process itself decreases the fertility. And so, so you know, you're dealing with a little lower fertility um, uh, product. And so um, we're looking at ways that we can, we can time the inseminations correctly. We can maybe set up the cows correctly for the correct timing of insemination and those kinds of things. And so we've just finished a trial in, in non-lactating heifers looking at timed AI using sex semen versus AI to estrus and the, and the, the, when we precisely control the time of ovulation in a, in a time breeding program in heifers, we get substantially higher conception rates with sex semen. We're planning on working that way with the, with, with a large cow study. In fact, we've done one cow study showing that the, the timing of insemination that we've recommended for conventional semen is the same as we would recommend for sex semen. A lot of people thought we had to breed a little bit later. So, my crystal ball is moving in that direction. I, in the beef semen use, there's questions to be used about which are the best beef sires to be used on Holstein. And another area that I think is coming down the pike that we're going to see a really big increase in is use of IVF embryo transfer. And here in Wisconsin, we have um, a lot of the AI companies are here. And what they want to do is generate IVF embryos transfer those embryos into recipients. Well, one thing a lot of farms have now is a lot of heifers because, because of the improvements in repro. And so a lot of IVF embryos are going into heifers. Uh, we've done some work. The problem with IVF embryo transfer, you get pretty good pregnancies for transfer, but they have about double the pregnancy loss between the first preg check and the second preg check. So we've looked at ways to try to reduce that pregnancy loss. And then the other thing that I think is coming down the pike, as far as in my crystal ball, is that rather than using crossbred, or rather than using beef semen on Holsteins and producing a crossbred calf, 
there are now people that are trying to scale up IVF beef embryo production. And in fact, there are some of these uh, on the market now, the, the Sim Vitro products, uh, Simplot's a company out in Idaho that's producing these beef embryos. And so I think what we're going to start to see is rather than, you know, you're going to have the option of rather than breeding a, a, a whole scene that you don't want to want a replacement out of with beef semen, um, or you could transfer an IVF beef embryo and have a, have a purebred beef calf. And so I think, I think we're going to see a lot of these kinds of things uh, changing the way that we look at reproduction. And I think what we're moving toward is a, um, a real tailored reproduction program where we're just looking at different populations and, and figuring out which are genetically the best, which one wants to replace inside of and how, how to maximize the profit on, on the other animals. So I think that's where we're going. Well, that's pretty cool. I'd tell you your crystal ball's a lot less uh, cloudy than mine. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be involved uh, with reproduction. There's a lot of stuff going on and with genetics as well. So these, these two... These two disciplines are kind of side-by-side really pushing things in really interesting directions right now. Well, this is a very intriguing conversation, and uh, thank you for taking the time to stop by and talk with us about it. You bet. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all that are listening out there. Y'all take care, folks. 